You may think you have never heard of her or that you have no idea who she was. But you have and you do. Her last name was Gail. Not that unusual, I would say. Her middle initial was E, same as mine, I, though I doubt hers didn't stand for Eugene. As for her first name, it was Dorothy. Dorothy E. Gale. Yes, you know, that Dorothy, the Kansas Dorothy, niece of Auntie M and Uncle Henry, companion of one scarecrow, one lion, a tin man, and her little dog, Toto. The Wizard of Oz, what a movie. We have all probably seen it many times. While it's not the first film that was shot partially in color, it was the first major film shot in technicolor. The camera was the size of a refrigerator. It's hard to imagine that a movie with a yellow brick road, this is, with a yellow brick road in an emerald city should be anything other than shot in color. We all likely remember our favorite lines from the movie. Mine is when Dorothy asks the scarecrow, what would you do with a brain if you had one? Now I have to confess that over the years, it's taken me a great deal of uh, self-control to not repeat that question to more than one person. <laughs> that of course excludes all of you. Then there's that other question when Dorothy asked the Scarecrow, how do you talk if you don't have a brain? Scarecrow, well, some people without brains do an awful lot of talking, don't they? The wizard, or the man behind the curtain, imparts some wisdom too. He tells the lion who was uh, asking for courage, you are under the delusion that simply because you run away from danger, you have no courage. You're confusing courage with wisdom. Or when the wizard tells the tin man, you, my galvanized friend, you want a heart. You don't know how lucky you are not to have one. Hearts are never practical until they can be made unbreakable. that nasty, wicked witch of the West. That vengeful, wicked witch, determined to get revenge after the house Dorothy was in, happens to land on another witch. In the book version, Dorothy's, um, I'm sorry, in the book version written by Lyman Frank Baum in 1900, the witches are not related making her sister witch in the movie probably adds more drama and a stronger drive for justification for revenge. But in both the book and the movie, the Wicked Witch of the West shows no remorse for the loss of a fellow witch. She only seeks to gain more power by getting the ruby slippers. Can you say narcissist? Let's remember it's not Dorothy's fault that the house she was in landed on the witch, nor is it her fault that the ruby slippers are now on her feet. 
She is the classic victim of circumstance, which we all are at times. And that is why it's so easy to identify with her. So why doesn't the wicked witch go after the good witch who put the ruby slippers on Dorothy? But she can't because she's equally matched in power. So what does a narcissistic witch to do? Go after the victim, the less powerful, the kind and good-hearted, the easiest of prey. And to do so with obsessive and petty vengeance. But it's not just witches who do that. You may recall the, the origin of the word narcissism. In Greek myth, a young man falls in love with Narcissus, who is a handsome son of a god and a nymph. But Narcissus spurns the young man, as he has previously done with other male suitors. The young man, in despair, kills himself at the doorstep of Narcissus with the very sword Narcissus had given him. As divine punishment, Narcissus is caught admiring himself as reflected in a pool of water. He falls in love with himself, but he can't have the object of his affection, and in the end, dies in sorrow. In the Roman version of the myth, the parents of Narcissus are worried about his extraordinary beauty and turn to a prophet for advice. The prophet advises that Narcissus should never have the opportunity to see his own beauty. One day, Narcissus is walking in the woods when, he, when the nymph Echo spots him and falls madly in love with him. Narcissus senses someone is following him and calls out, who's there? Well, being Echo, she calls back, who's there? Finally, she shows herself, tries to embrace him, and he spurns her. Scorned, she spends the rest of her time in the distance, her voice a fading echo. So Nemesis, god of revenge and retribution, causes Narcissus to see his own beauty as reflected in a pool of water. Again, he falls in love with himself and realizing he can never have what he is in love with, kills himself. Well, not only did you just hear some Greek and Roman myth, but you also heard the etymology of three common words, nemesis, echo, and narcissist. There's a lot of wisdom in those ancient myths of many cultures, whether you embrace the supernatural or not. It's bad enough to have a narcissist in the family or in your circle of friends. And it's even worse if you have to work with one, especially if that person is your boss or supervisor. But it is dangerous to have them in positions of power. Power over vast numbers of people, over a country, over a world, over time. Narcissists are drawn to power, not authority. They don't seek to author benevolent works for the greater good. 
even when they are looking at that monster in the mirror, they only see what they want to see, and they love what they see. They thrive on irrelevant conflict and seeking revenge, and often stew themselves in a marinade of grievances. They have an excessive degree of self-esteem or self-involvement, which manifests itself in the form of emotional immaturity. Can you say, narcissist in chief? Dr. Leon F. Seltzer has doctor degrees in both English and psychology. After teaching at universities in New York and Cleveland, he now has a private practice specializing in stress and anger management, as well as dealing with issues caused by trauma, conflict, addiction, and depression. His article in Psychology Today, titled, Don't Confuse Revenge with Justice, Five Key Differences, addresses today's topic. Enlightened souls such as we are will likely agree with that premise that justice and revenge are two different things. But Dr. Seltzer contends that many people use the terms interchangeably. They see revenge and justice as the same. They not only see it as the same, but they practice it as the same. They use the term just revenge. According to Dr. Seltzer, revenge is an emotionally motivated way of acting out and sometimes escalates to finding pleasure in the suffering of the targets of our revenge. The Avengers often see themselves as victims and they use that to justify their revenge. He writes that justice, on the other hand, is not about getting even. It is instead an unemotional response that is based on the standards of the community. Quoting him directly, justice is cool, whereas revenge is hot. Revenge is personal, justice is not. Revenge is about retaliation. Justice is about restoring balance. Justice is grounded in assumptions, conventions, and doctrines having to do with honor, fairness, and virtue. It is based on established law." End quote. He also adds, though, that revenge is about cycles. Justice is about closure. Revenge repeats itself and becomes increasingly bitter and malicious. It resembles itself. Quoting again, revenge typically begets more revenge, whether it's an individual or an entire nation. It takes place within a closed system that seems able to feed on itself indefinitely. The word narcissist is uh, tossed around a lot these days, probably with good reason, but the Mayo Clinic identifies it as an actual personality disorder. Here's their definition. Narcissistic personality disorder. One of the several types of personality disorders is a mental condition in which people have an inflated sense of their own importance, 
a deep need for excessive attention and admiration, troubled relationships, and a lack of empathy for others. But behind this mask of extreme confidence lies a fragile self-esteem that's vulnerable to the slightest criticism. Hardly sounds like a stable genius to me. Narcissists crave attention because they need to be fed with constant praise. They are so wrapped up in themselves that they don't even notice that they are being fed that praise with an empty spoon, which is why they can never have enough. Narcissists aren't loners, though they are often lonely. They need to play to a full house. They are shrewd, and they know how to read people, how to manipulate people, and how to make people not want to be on their wrong side. They are masters at finding and cultivating closed systems. Systems as which, Dr. Seltzer said, feed on themselves indefinitely. These closed systems are social, political, religious, cultural, and so on. But systems in and of themselves are not necessarily unhealthy or detrimental to a society. But when they are closed, they become echo chambers and like-minded people are easily drawn into the vortex of perceived victimhood and narcissistic revenge. With no statistics to back me up, <clears throat> I will venture to say that closed systems are flourishing in this, as we have seen, in this our increasingly fragile democracy. One must be all in or all out. The middle road is vanishing as we take exit ramps of no return to the right or left. Words and actions from closed systems are becoming more and more outrageous, personal, bizarre, vindictive, and dangerous. We saw this a few months ago when nasty senators showed their true colors once again while grilling a candidate for our Supreme Court. They were performing to the closed systems that they call their base. And they were just that, base. The scarecrow was right. Some people without brains do an awful lot of talking. But you know what else? Some people without brains do an awful lot of believing. Some of us are so entrenched in our closed systems that we attack each other over face masks and make death threats to highly regarded health officials. We are so entrenched in our closed systems that we use the Bible as a prop and it works. We are so entrenched in our closed systems that, we're, that there are code words like patriot, woke, groomers, inner city, and let's go Brandon, and unspoken gestures that signal one's support for white supremacy. 
Picture the photo. A shirtless man on a horse. Perfect image for selling a product that appeals to the macho man stereotype. But no. This is a photo of Vlad the Destroyer. A former KGB agent and product of a closed system designed by the Soviets. This Vlad longs for the good old days. But that regime failed, and modern Russians turned to the West in a desire to modernize and enjoy Western conveniences. But their leader wants revenge for that failed regime. He has been building a case for years, ranting about perceived grievances, claiming that Ukraine is not really a country, and glamorizing himself and his achievements. He has launched an even more vigorous campaign to control the information that the public receives. His claim that Western-sponsored dissension is infecting Russian citizens. He is calling for a cleansing of that infection. Those Russians who are aware of and even remember the cleansing policies of Stalin realize the danger ahead. Such cleansing, the creation of enemies, and the destruction of peoples, cities, and our planet is reminiscent of the prelude to that war in Europe whose end President Truman announced on his birthday. We can hope that that aggression doesn't escalate as it did back then, but hope is not the only thing we can do, must do. Relying only on hope didn't work back then, and it will not work now. Hope is wasted on narcissists. Dorothy Gale just wants to get back to Kansas with Toto too. In contrast to the narcissistic witch who wants revenge, Dorothy shows companion for others. Yes, she wants to get back to Kansas, but she also wants her friends to get a brain, a heart, and courage. But it is not revenge that leads Dorothy to destroy the wicked witch. It is her selfless decision to rescue and not destroy the existence of others for one's narcissistic gains.